Would you take God's Word today, open to the little epistle in the New Testament, 2 John. 2 John. It's a very small epistle. Go to the book of Revelation and make a left, and you'll come to it in just a few pages. 2 John. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word as we read a few verses from 2 John, verse 1. The elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. For the truth's sake which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth as we received a commandment from the Father. Thank you. This is God's Word. You may be seated. May God open our eyes and our hearts as we receive truth. Would you pray with me today? Father, as we come before you, we always come recognizing our need of your help, Lord, to understand the Word of God. And so may the Spirit of God just speak to our hearts, and may we see truth today that will help us to be more like our Savior, Jesus Christ, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is a special day, and we rightly honor mothers, and well, we should for all that they do for us. Have you ever stopped to think about how much a mother does? I mean, it's truly amazing when you think about it. Someone said moms is an acrostic that stands for master of many skills, and that is so true. Think about it. You know, we use a phrase... Uh, to talk about you know, a huge amount of work. It's called the mother load, <laughs> right? Because of all that they do. And how grateful we are for moms and for their influence in our life. We know it's not easy being a mother. Abraham Lincoln said that no one is poor who has had a godly mother. And I think that's so very true. I think one of the great resources for revival in our nation are godly mothers. When you think about it, mothers have the power to change the direction of a nation for generations. And so I want us to give tribute to godly mothers. In this little epistle here, I want us to see one such mother. We don't really know her name because the Bible doesn't give us a name. But there's a woman that's being addressed to here in this letter. I think Second John is a personal letter to a godly mother written by John. In fact, let's look at the author. Look at the author, how he identifies himself in verse number one, the elder unto the elect lady. Who is the elder here? Well, the writer of this letter is the apostle John, the same one who wrote the gospel of John and who wrote the book of Revelation and who wrote the first epistle. He calls himself the elder. He doesn't even bother to give his name. Those who receive this letter, the woman who sees it knows who it's from. And the word elder is presbyteros. It simply means older or aged man, and sometimes it's used figuratively to talk about leadership in a church. And the New Testament, the, the church was led by elders, those who were spiritually older and mature and, and wise. And I think John uses this word in the sense that he is the overseer of the church that she attends and perhaps a community of churches that John helped to establish. And so this is a letter from John. Um, he calls himself the elder, a short letter from a pastor. And in this letter, John is going to give some advice. Um, and all, so we notice who is it directed to in verse 1, the elder unto the elect lady. 
Again, the name is not given. Um, he just calls her the elect lady. Now, let me just say that some New Testament scholars have struggled over the recipient of the letter. Who could this be? I've read some New Testament scholars where they think that this is a figurative term, and really John is writing to a church. The elect lady is a church, and uh, after all, they say the, the Bible refers to the church as the bride of Christ. <clears throat> There's some problems with that view, however. Nowhere in the New Testament does the Bible refer to believers as children of the church. You're not a child of the church. You're a child of God. You're a child of the Lord Jesus Christ. And also in verse 3, uh, it refers to... Um, uh, this uh, lady, her, her, her sister and her children. <clears throat> and so there's some problems that taking this view would um, present. I think, and there's another view that some scholars hold in that the uh, elect lady here is referring to Mary, the mother of Jesus. And they say, you know, when Jesus was dying on the cross, he charged John with the responsibility of taking care of his mother. And, and again, that view brings a lot of problems and, and there's no harmony in that. I don't see that as the right thing here. Mary would be very old at this time if she were still alive when John wrote this letter. The third view, I think, is the right view, and that is this is a personal letter to a godly lady that John knew well. He also knew her children, and John knew that this woman was walking in truth, and he knew that her children likewise were walking in truth. It's a short letter. It has all the characteristics of it being a personal letter, um, all the, the genre of a first-century personal letter. Uh, it's the shortest book in the New Testament. It has only 245 words. We call this a postcard epistle because it's so short. And this is really too brief to be written to a church. This is written to a woman. And it has a very important message. What is the purpose of this letter? Well, this woman had evidently written to John first. And she was asking for advice. He wanted to get some pastoral counsel regarding a specific issue. And so this letter that John writes is in response to a letter or a question that she had for John. Now, what was the occasion? Well, this was a godly Christian woman with godly children. And we have every evidence from this that she had a godly home. And she had a beautiful testimony. She loved the truth. Her home was overflowing with love. And she was hospitable, just like the Bible taught that she should be hospitable, she would entertain people, she would bring people in, and she wanted to continue to be loving and gracious and hospitable to strangers and people that came along, but there were also some false teachers going around in the world that, in that time, and she also wanted to protect her home from ungodly influences. And so her heart is to be good to others, to show love, as the Bible and Christ teaches us, but also to guard and to guide her home. And so she's entertaining a specific question about how, 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 where should she draw the line? And so John is going to answer this question. And in doing so, what we're going to see here in this letter are what I call three qualities of a godly mother. Three qualities. Here's the first one, number one. A godly mother walks in truth. We see this in verse 1. Um, she was respected by John, the elder unto the elect lady. This letter is very friendly. It's joyful. It shows an expression of admiration, of respect for her, because here's a woman who walks in the truth. So she's a respected person. When John uses this adjective elect here, it's really an adjective that's speaking about the quality of her life. She is a godly 
person. She is a quality person. She is an outstanding Christian. She was known and she was respected by all who knew her. And really, that's what Mother's Day is all about. It's giving honor to whom honor is due. For women who love God and who walk in truth, how grateful we are for you, how you have blessed our life beyond measure. And really, that's the whole origin of Mother's Day. The unit was started by a lady by the name of Anna Reeves Jarvis. She started, she actually was the one who, who originated this because she saw her mother, she saw how godly her mother was, she saw how her mother suffered through the loss of some sons during the Civil War, and she watched her mother as she took care of others and prayed over others. And when her mother died, there was something in the heart of Anna that determined that she wanted to honor moms like hers. And so she went to her pastor, and they determined to make a Mother's Day at their church, and that thing started to spread so that many years later, it was being celebrated in 45 states all over the country. Finally, on May the 8th, 1914, President Woodrow Wilson designated the second Sunday in May as Mother's Day. But it came out of a godly desire to honor a godly mother. This woman was loved by John. Look what he says in verse 1, whom I love in the truth. John loved this woman. He loved her family as a pastor, loves a member of the church. He loved her because of the truth's sake, because she was a genuine godly woman and who had a godly home. Um, She was a refreshing peer because in verse 2, he says, for the truth's sake which dwells in us. John is putting uh, himself in the same category as her, as being one who loves the truth and one who dwells uh, in, in truth. It says, for the truth's sake which dwelleth in us. That is, it is in us. And this was an expression that John used to use in his epistles if you read them, and it's synonymous with someone who is truly saved and walking with God. Here's a woman that knew the Lord and was walking with him, and she knew the Word of God. She knew theology. She knew the truth. Thank God for women who know God's Word. You know why? Because mothers are the greatest teachers. They're the greatest teachers. You know, the Bible says that children can learn doctrine when they're very, very small. Um, As the Bible says in Isaiah 28, they can learn it as small infants. And so mothers are teachers from the very, very beginning. Um, You know, I think back when my little Abby was just learning to crawl, and one day she, uh, her first word um, when she, I was sitting down reading my Bible in in my chair, and she crawled up. And she crawled up on my knee, and she put her little finger on the Bible, and her first word was Bible. Isn't that incredible? The first word was Bible. Her second word was pizza, you know. (laughs) You know, I was eating a pizza when they said pizza, you know. But children can learn at very young age, and mothers are the greatest teachers. They thank God for godly mothers who teach their children the word of God. There's nothing greater than that. There's nothing greater I can still remember the Bible stories my mother read to me as a child and what an impact they had on me. And so here's this woman, and she loved the truth, and she knew the truth, and she walked in the truth. And she was a resourceful parent because she commends her for teaching her children. Look at verse 3. Grace be with you and peace and, and mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I find of thy children walking in truth as we have received a commandment from the Father. And so John commends this lady because her children are walking in truth. She taught that faith to her children, and she made a difference in their life. 
Um, and so John is giving her credit for, for doing that, for walking in truth. The word here is a present tense. This was her lifestyle. This was something that she did. And let me just say the greatest blessing that motherhood can be to humanity is that mothers who teach their children truth. Um, that's how the Bible says you make a difference. In 1 Timothy 2.15, Paul says that. And, and we don't have time to look at it, but he was referring to the fact that during the fall, um, that it was, it was through Eve that the fall of humanity came. Adam was there, and he wasn't taking his part as the leader. And Eve, of course, partook of the fruit, and it brought the fall of mankind. But Paul's whole point in verse 15 is to say that, that motherhood brings salvation to mankind one child at a time as that mother has children and teaches those children to walk in faith and love and verity and truth and they remain in the truth, you bring salvation to the human race by teaching children to walk in truth. And so that's the, that, you know, womanhood, and Paul's whole point is that womanhood seems to have a stigma because the fall came through that, but motherhood redeems womanhood by teaching children. That's the whole point. That for womanhood, motherhood is the exaltation of it. I know that we have a, a worldly idea today that, that the greatest way to be a woman is to be independent and, and, and to go out and do your own thing and have your own career. But the Bible says the, the way to exalt womanhood is through being a godly mother. That's what Scripture says. Nothing wrong with that other thing. It's just that there's this idea out here that for some who think that being a mother is a second-class citizen, oh, no, it's the best thing you can do. It's the best thing you can do. That's how you bring hu- salvation to the human race. And that's what Paul said, walking in truth and teaching others to continue in the truth. Now, what's unique about this letter is we don't read of a husband anywhere. John doesn't address a man. Um, We don't know why the husband is absent. I would assume that if she were married that he would mention her. Perhaps maybe he's unsaved and doesn't really care for the things of God. This might be an unsaved woman, perhaps, and she's raising her children under that circumstance. Or maybe she's a widow and her husband died and she was left to rear her children on her own. There may be some here in that circumstance, and, and you deserve special recognition for persevering through that difficulty. Or if you have a, a husband that's lost and you continue to walk in, in faith, that's, you again deserve special honor and recognition for your faithfulness. Or maybe she's just a single parent, maybe because of her past life, or she, maybe she's suffered a divorce. We don't know, but we know this, that at this point, John respects her, and he holds her up high because she loves the truth and she walks in the truth and she taught her children to do the same thing. So a godly mother walks in truth. But here's the second thing I see. A godly mother loves in truth. Look at verse 5. And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And so John is uh, commending her This is what I call the continuation of love. He's commending her and telling her, continue to to love others because this is what this woman has excelled in. She she just shows Christ-like love to others all all around. And, And John is saying, you know, I'm not writing you anything that you don't already know. This is not a new commandment that you love the way you do. You certainly understand this. This is not new in essence. It's this is not new in expression. You know this is just this is the thing that you learned from the beginning that you're to love others. And so here is a woman that was accustomed to showing love. And love is, uh, 
more than just a feeling. It is the things that you do. It is putting others ahead of you. It is serving others. Love, if you really want to get down to the biblical definition of it, is selfless, sacrificial acts on the behalf of other people. And that's what mothers do. Incredibly selfless. And you're never more like Jesus than when you're selfless and you're putting others ahead of you. And this woman was doing that, not not just to her family, but to anyone who had a need. She would show that love. Now, what specifically was she doing? She was giving hospitality. She was helping ministers who traveled through. Now, just understand this context. In Paul's day, uh, there were many missionaries and teachers that were out spreading the gospel. Rome had built roads all throughout the empire, and these traveling missionaries and preachers would take advantage of these Roman roads, and they would go along these roads, and they would go to some of the towns that were built alongside these Roman roads, and they would share the gospel. But also back then, they were dependent upon Christians as they traveled because the inns that were built along these Roman roads, they were not good places to stay. They were filled with all kind of mischief and evil, and many of them were not much more than just brothels. And so the traveling missionaries and preachers that would take those roads and share the gospel, they would be dependent upon believers, Christians, that would be hospitable to them and take them in and give them a meal and give them a place to stay. They were totally dependent on people to do that. And this woman here, she was excelling in this. She would take in traveling missionaries and godly servants, and she would show Christian love to them. In fact, the the Bible says a lot about this. Um, It talks about hospitality, that as even as pastors, you're to be given to hospitality, talking about the same thing. In fact, there's a whole a New Testament vocabulary for receiving traveling missionaries and preachers and sending them away. There's a special vocabulary that even talks about this. And so this woman was doing this. She was showing this love and taking care of others. But notice in verse 6, John says this, And this is love that we walk after his commandments. And this is the commandment that as ye have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. So John's giving a clarification of love. John is saying, look, love is doing everything according to the word of God. It's not just how you feel, it's what you do. I could say it like this, it's regulating every relationship in life according to the word of God. And know this, that any time you cross the bounds of scripture, you're not showing love, no matter how it makes you feel. True Christian love is always obedient to the word of God, amen? You can't cross the commandments of scripture and call that love. Now here's where we get to the heart and the purpose of the letter. Because remember, I said this letter is a response to the letter she wrote to John. And she wanted to know, where do I draw the line, John? I'm bringing in these missionaries and these traveling preachers, and I'm showing them Christ-like love and hospitality. But the question is, what about someone who doesn't teach the same thing that we believe? What about someone who claims to be a a representative of the Lord, but they're teaching something contrary to what I believe and what you believe. Should I extend to them Christian love? Where does Christian love draw the line there? She wanted to know the answer to that. And by even asking John, she was showing that she wanted to be careful to do all that she did to please the Lord. She was very conscientious about that. I don't want to do anything that would be displeasing to God. I don't want to do anything that would be... um, a violation of Scripture. 
And John is giving a principle here. There are limits on love. You can't say you're acting in love if you're disobeying or going against the word of God. And so she loves, she wants to make sure that her love is within the confines of what Scripture teaches. And that's why John lays down this principle, that love is walking after God's commandments. But here's the third thing about a godly mother. A godly mother walks in truth. A godly mother loves in truth. But here's the third thing. A godly mother discerns with truth. And here John answers her question. This is the counsel she wanted. Here was a woman that did not in any way want to be a hindrance to the truth of the gospel. And she didn't want to be a partner in spreading lies or mistruth by helping out others. She wants to do what is right. And so John tells her, look in verse 7, For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. So John warns her, you know, you don't want to do anything to help out a deceiver. As, as Christians, we don't want to promote false doctrine. We don't want to sacrifice doctrinal purity on the altar of love. This is a message that we need today because we have a lot of preachers out there saying, oh, we just all need to get along and we need to love each other. Doctrine doesn't matter. Oh, yeah, it does matter. It matters a whole lot. It matters for your life and your eternity. And Satan has messengers out there too on the road. And as Christians, we don't want to do anything to help them along or to any, any way give the impression that they are speaking truth. There can be no unity at the expense of truth. And so John, in this letter, stands in direct contrast to this modern-day cry of ecumenism where let's all just get along. Let me just tell you something. Love without truth is compromise. Truth without love is cruelty, but love and truth together, that's conviction. And we're to hold truth and love. And so John is saying, receiving and helping these false teachers is not love. That's not love. And you want to use discernment. As you administer, do we want to help people that are needy? Absolutely. We want to help people that are down and out? Absolutely. We want to help the poor. We want to help everyone. But one thing we don't want to do is we don't want to be fellow helpers of deception. We don't want to do that. And so there were many false teachers taking advantage of the hospitality of Christians back then, many Gnostic false teachers who did not believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And so John gives that as a guideline in verse 7, there are many deceivers in the world who, who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves. And so this woman was very wise to get counsel from John, and I'm sure that she followed it to the letter because she wanted to walk in truth. And John here is saying, look, there's, there's dangers to avoid. You don't want to entertain deceivers because there's a danger in losing spiritual progress. That's why he says, look to yourselves. You don't want to lose any spiritual ground. You don't want to be deceived. There's a danger in losing your reward, that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. A believer can't lose their salvation, but you can certainly lose your reward if you do the wrong things. And danger in losing the truth in verse 9. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. 
Don't, go, don't transgress. Don't go beyond the bounds of Scripture. Abide in the doctrine of Christ. You know, a true believer, you want to know the mark of a true believer? They continue to persevere in the true word of God, in the things of Christ, in the teaching of, about Jesus. They're faithful. They continue on. Doesn't matter how difficult things get, they persevere in Christ. They're faithful to Jesus Christ. And so, and there's a danger in losing your family in verse number 10. If there come unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is a partaker of his evil deeds. You don't want to, you don't want to receive that person in your house with the idea of showing them hospitality. You, you place them in your home, you, you, you bring unflu- uh, ungodly influences in your home. When you do that, you don't want to do that. You don't want to in any way appear like you are affirming what they believe. You don't even bid them Godspeed. You don't even say, God bless you, you know, the Lord be with you. No, God can't bless what you're doing, and he's certainly not with you. You're not doing God's work. That's the devil's work. I remember one time I had some Jehovah Witnesses come to my door. They knocked on the door, and uh, when I answered the door, they went into their their spiel, you know, I said, look, guys, I don't want to waste your time. I'm a Baptist minister. I said, let me ask you three questions. Number one, do you worship Jesus? They said, yes. I said, do you believe that Jesus is God? They said, no. I said, then why would you worship a liar? And they were silent. They didn't know how to respond. And finally, one of them said, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. I said, you got to be kidding, right? You ever read the New Testament? He was doing it all the time. And then I said to these guys very sincerely, I said, look, guys, this is the matter right here. Either Jesus was who he claimed to be or he was not. And if he was, you better submit to his lordship. Everything he said was true. And if you don't worship the Jesus of the Bible, your soul is in great danger. And I looked at this guy face to face. I said, look, I care for you, but your soul is in danger. And what you are peddling is a lie because it's a lie about Christ. And I'm warning you. You better forsake that. You better embrace the Christ of Scripture, all that he claimed to be. And that was it. They didn't come back. Now, what if I would have said to them, oh, yeah, come on in. Let's come on in. Have some coffee with me. Let's, let's fellowship. Let's talk. Let's, let's be friends. And then when I got done with them, they went on down the street. Now, they weren't going to change my mind. I promise you that. There's no danger of them changing my mind. They could have gone down the street and knocked on a, another door, and the person say, well, you know, we don't, we don't really want to hear what you have to say. We go to a Grace Bible Baptist church. Oh, yeah, is that Pastor Jerry? Oh, we were just down there having great fellowship with him. We have, oh, he's our friend. Then they have an inroad. And in a way, I have affirmed them in a way that makes it dangerous for other people. And John is simply saying to this woman here, you don't want to do that. Don't even welcome them into your house. Neither bid them God's speed. For he that biddeth them God's speed is a partaker of his evil deeds. There's a danger in losing spiritual progress and your reward and, 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 and being careless with the truth and losing your family and then losing your testimony. You don't want to do that. And so... This is an answer to the question, but I don't want you to lose the the point that I'm trying to make today, and that is that here is a godly woman who loved truth, 
who walked in truth, who taught her children the truth, who cared very much that she would exercise biblical love to others and not in any way compromise the gospel or the word of God. And she was a woman who had an incredible impact because the people there loved her. Look again in verse 1, we'll close with this. John loved her, but he said, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. All those who are believers and know you and love the truth, love you for the influence that you are and the impact that you've made. And that's what I would like to say to the godly mothers and women that are here, that in Christ we love you and we thank God for you because you have stood in truth and you love the word of God and you're, you're the greatest teachers that we have. And I would just encourage you, listen, continue teaching the truth. We need to teach this next generation, right? And the generation behind that. We need godly grandmothers and mothers that are faithful to walk in truth and stand for truth and teach others. Let's bow for prayer together. Father, thank you for this little letter here. What a beautiful, beautiful letter it is. The only one in the New Testament that I know of written to a godly woman who is commended. John commended her for her love and truth. And here was a woman that loved your word and wanted to show Christian love, but she also wanted to make sure that she was abiding in the word of God and the truth. And she had such an impact. And we're still feeling that today because of this little letter. Thank you, Lord, for moms that are like this, that just love you and love the truth and have influenced us and blessed our lives more than we can say. I pray for special blessing on them. Lord, may they increase. May younger women learn from godly examples like them. And may the next generation be blessed to have many like this woman. And may they be influenced and impacted. Lord, we live in a world where there's so much error and sin. Thank you for the restraint of godly women, godly mothers that bless us, and how they are like our Savior, Jesus Christ. With heads bowed and eyes closed before I close out the service today, I would just say this, you know, the desire of every godly mom is that her children and grandchildren know Jesus. Their greatest prayer is that their children come to know Christ. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I would just ask you to consider the desire of your mom. She would want you to know Christ. She would want you to make sure that you're saved. That's certainly my heart's desire. Just don't don't take it for granted. Don't just think, well, you know, I, I've given an acknowledgement to who Jesus is. No, friend, it's, it's so much more than that. If you're truly a believer, you'll walk in the truth. You will abide in the truth, just like John describes here. Are you truly saved? Do you know Christ? Friend, this is the greatest, most important issue of your life. Please don't be haphazard with it. Please examine your heart to make sure you know Jesus that you're walking in truth the way godly mothers teach us to. If you're not saved, would you just be willing to reach out in prayer right where you are? It doesn't have to be an eloquent prayer. 
but just something from your heart. God, save me. Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner. Please save me. Reach out in prayer. Tell him you need him. And you know what, friend? We have a loving and merciful Savior who will love you and will save you, forgive you for your sin. You can walk in truth. Father, bless these words to hearing hearts today, we pray in Jesus' name.